Hey guys, we're back. Today we have Akash Bhatt with us. He's the head of partnership and operations at MentorCam. He also runs DCVC, which is one of the most popular podcast in India. And he talks to like angel investors and venture capitalists. And DCVC also makes investments on the side, which I didn't know about. And when I went on the website, I was like, yeah, these guys make investments as well. And I saw a really nice code there. So yeah, I'm really interested in talking to you. Hi Akash, what's up? How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me here, Mehul and Navirat. Really excited. Looking forward to the conversation over the next uh, hour or so. And happy to share whatever little insights that I have about tech. We so one of the first questions that I have in mind is when did this journey start? How did you get into tech or venture capital? Or when did you start investing? Or perhaps when did you write your first check? Mm-hmm. Um, the first check that I wrote was in 2018. Uh, but my venture into tech and the world of VC goes back to my time in India. I um, started off as a founder myself. I come, a fam- I come from a family of entrepreneurs and uh, people in business. Um, and I started out early, started a company called Shiksha, which is a nonprofit education space, working primarily with blue-collared workers. Um, so building a nonprofit company was a hard journey. It's very different from going going through a venture capital route and, you know, raising funds and going ahead and then building a company out. So I learned a whole lot about what it means to build a nonprofit. And from there on, there was no looking back. So the people that I met, um, the people that I ended up working with, it all just added up from there on. I ended up working with um, the local government, board of the state level, um, and at the national level, worked with a lot of nonprofits. But more importantly, ended up bumping into a lot of people who then opened doors for me. So after four and a half years of building um, Shiksha, I had the opportunity to work with uh, NASCOM 10,000 startups. And for the uninitiated who don't really know what NASCOM 10,000 startups is, it is an organization that was put together by um, the government of India and NASCOM. And NASCOM is an industry regulator, uh, where the 10K program was to impact 10,000 startups over 10 years through funding, incubation, acceleration, and mentorship. So uh, I had the opportunity to join them as an early team member and basically run all of the operations um, and the accelerator for them in Bangalore. That was my first foray into anything that had to do with the startup ecosystem. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to work with some fantastic founders who were building companies in what I would call the way one in India, way back in the early 2011, 2012. Um, gave me an opportunity to work with venture capitalists. I obviously had no idea and insight into the workings uh, or what it meant to build um, a VC-funded startup. And I had my first introduction. It was almost like a VC 101 or a tech 101, um, seeing everything being built from um, the ground up. And uh, that's really where I fell in love with the whole model of building companies, working with venture capitalists, how different stakeholders within the ecosystem really play a key role in a success of not just the startup and the VC fund, but also an ecosystem as such. And by ecosystem, I mean the Indian landscape. Um, and from there on, you know, I, that bug just bit me and I continued to work in early stage companies. After about two and a half years at uh, NASCOM, I ended up working later with an early stage food delivery company called Dazzo, um, ran all of their partnerships and business development. Uh, we raised a couple of rounds of funding from local investors, in, including Ceph Partners, which is today Elevation Capital. Um, unfortunately for us, we didn't scale at the same rate at which some of our competitors did, <laughs> like the Tiny Owls and Swiggies and Freshman News of the World. 
So we unfortunately shut shop. Um, as uh, most of you and your listeners may also understand, VC and tech is um, a numbers game. You may not always uh, win. Um, we learned that the hard way, made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, you know, we shut shop. And once we shut shop is when I moved to the US, uh, went to business school at Columbia and post which I've been in private equity and then venture capital and now back to building early stage companies. So my investing journey started about uh, four and a half years ago and has continued ever since. Um, started off with an institutional fund making investments in sports properties and then over to VC where I really got a sense of what it means and how to invest in early stage tech startups and um, post that I just created a little bit of niche for myself, building that bridge between India and the US and uh, whatever little people that I know within my network have obviously gone on to help me as well as the startups that I ended up working with. And I figured I can also invest in some personal capacity. And the only reason I ventured into doing that was because a few founders reached out to me. They probably thought I would be some sort of a value add and I may have been helpful in one way, shape or form. And they were generous enough to invite me to be on their cap table. It felt like a good fit. I felt like I had, you know, a little bit of an interest in um, helping them through their journey. And more importantly, um, you know, if I could, if a little bit of my capital could help them get to get from point A to point B, I was really confident in uh, being part of their journey. And that's how I got into angel investing. And uh, there was no looking back at that point. And it really has been um, a fantastic journey. I've had about 50 investments now. Uh, as an angel myself, um, and each one of the founders that I work with um, have been teaching me something along the way. And uh, today I don't look at angel investing as a way to make money. I think it's, uh, for me personally, it's about building my network, understanding how different markets function, because I'm not just an angel investor here in the US, I'm also an angel investor in Australia and in India and some parts of Europe. So I'm able to get a good sense of understanding of how the VC ecosystem works across the world. And more importantly, getting to work with early stage founders and uh, getting an insight into company building and the way that they're going about doing so. And you get a fantastic firsthand um, insight into how these companies are being built. And there is no better learning for the amount of capital that I'm able to, um, you know, put into this for what I'm taking in return. I feel I'm getting more in return than I'm putting in. So it's been a fantastic journey overall. That's honestly great to hear like the entire journey from where you started and where you've come. What I'd like to ask, what really caught me is when you were talking about NASCOM and uh, the NASCOM conclave, then I really wanted to know what's your take on the current Indian startup ecosystem. And uh, that would, I think, benefit a lot of our listeners because it's always good to know how, what India's do up, where India is at and how people can build that and what opportunities they can find. So, the last yeah. couple of years, we've seen a huge rise with so many unicorns coming out. People with like someone uh, with Nike and with stuff like Zomato going public and Paytm going public. You have a lot of people doing very well. What do you have uh, to say about that? What do you have to say about the future of Indian startups? What are the markets people can look at that can actually flourish in the coming years? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And I think there are like a bunch of questions layered into that. I'll probably start um, answering them one by one. Um, in short, I'm extremely bullish about India. I think as an investor anywhere in the world, you'd be extremely naive and foolish to ignore the India story. 
And we've probably grown faster than any of the other countries have within the startup ecosystem ever since that country's journey in that has begun. So um, I'm extremely, extremely confident that in the coming years, we'll have the best of the talent, we'll have some of the best of the companies, and more importantly, our playbooks will be replicated around the world. So for a long time, India has copied the Western models and the Me Too companies have obviously gone on to do well. You've had the Flipkart, which followed the Amazon model. You've had um, some local companies that are, you have Ola, which followed the Uber model. And you obviously have had a bunch more companies that have looked at the West for inspiration. But where India is right now is there's the growth in the middle class and there's discretionary spending that's come about in the middle class which obviously then translate to the upper middle class and the high income part of the society, wherein each and every part section of the society is now giving you an insight into how consumers think, behave, and more importantly, transact. And that segmentation is something that is very unique to our country, which can then be replicated across the world. Because when you take a look at some different, let's, let's say, for instance, the middle class is very replicable to what's happening in Latin America and maybe Africa. The upper section of the society can be compared to perhaps um, Europe or some parts of Southeast Asia. And then you have the echelons, which can be compared to the North American markets. So you have a different consumer base. And when you take a look at how and where the India story has obviously blossomed into, you're seeing a number of companies that are doing fantastically well, even in the enterprise SaaS space. And this is a sector that India perhaps for a long time had not really caught up with the West. And today we are at a position where we got some of the best operators coming in who have had that experience here in the West, going back to India and building enterprise SaaS companies for the globe. And you're obviously seeing that dearth of excellence that's coming out of different markets in India. And when you segment it out, you're really looking at a country that is positioning itself for global domination, in my own personal opinion. So I'm really looking forward to how the journey plays out. Now, in terms of where the macroeconomic impact from what's happening here in the North American markets, especially in the context of the recent recession that we're all facing here in this part of the world, fortunately, India has not seen a lot of that or the trickle down effects haven't reached India as much as it has in the rest of the world, which is a great thing. Uh, but at, at the same time, what happens in India, and this is obviously from a little bit of my own experience investing and speaking to a lot of other investors on my podcast personally, is that we look at the West for a lot of inspiration in most of the things that we still do, right? Investing is one of those. Now, when the markets here in the United States or the investors here in the United States start slowing down their investments and started evaluating these companies with hard metrics and ask them and question them about path to profitability, that is something similar Indian startups doing, started doing themselves and Indian investors started imposing these questions on those startups. Now, everybody, irrespective of who you are, an LP, a VC, or a startup founder, you're constantly thinking about, hey, what are my metrics going to be? And I'm going to be judged hard against those. And for an investor, it's how how, how hard can we scrutinize the companies? And hey, is there a part of profitability? You made some good points about companies such as Nike, which went public, Zomato, which went public, and uh, Paytm. Unfortunately, two out of the three haven't done really well. Even Nike, to an extent, has not done that great post the IPO. It's a great story. It's wonderful for Indian consumer um, uh, startup ecosystem that there is these three big companies to look forward to from, hey, there's an exit possible here. But we're a long way away from, you know, rectifying those markets and really looking at these business models and ensuring that there is a strong, strong, robust foundation that is built, which can really benefit not just the investors who invested in the companies, but also retail investors. And that is really what 
the course corrections happening right now. Everybody is looking at how can this be a more long-term um, success rather than something that's an immediate uh, uh, story for the media, for um, investors. So that journey is going to be something that is going to be interesting to follow along. And I believe the next two, three years, you'll see investors giving a very hard thought to where their money is going. And more importantly, what are they getting in return? That is a story that we all should probably constantly follow and see how that narrative plays out in the country. Now, coming back to the last question, I, I believe, which was, um, you know, part of uh, the bunch of questions that you asked is where are some of the areas that India is perhaps going to um, uh, succeed at? Or what are the uh, areas or sectors that I'm bullish on or things that things that I've heard that people are investing into? There are quite a few, right? When you think about India, you're thinking about localization. And I think that's where Indian companies have done a phenomenal job. We still struggle at an infrastructural level. So there's an opportunity. Wherever they struggle, there's an opportunity in my opinion. So when you think when you think about logistics, there's a fantastic opportunity for a lot of people, incumbents included, to really go up, go ahead and capture a stronger market share. There is a wonderful narrative that's being played out in the consumer market as well, D2C consumer market. You've got a lot of brands today that are really building out that India story, targeting different sections of the population, be it the audience that is either in the city or in tier two or tier three, or even now going trickling down to rural parts of the country. There are brands that are going after this massive audience that has been untapped for a long time. So those sectors are really interesting. Personally, I also look at, as I previously mentioned, enterprise SaaS, which has been a fantastic journey for our country. And fourth is deep tech. Now deep tech encompasses everything from sectors that have hardcore research all the way up until the ones that we're being, you know, we're hearing really good stories here in the West, which is space tech. It could be, um, you know, food uh, technology for that matter, alternate proteins, anything that has to do with hardcore research and sciences. These are very interesting subjects within the Indian context, simply because you've had a lot of these founders either who have had that experience in the US and have gone back or are really looking at it from a core um, uh, sciences perspective and now having really that launch pad that every other sector in India has given them that confidence that, hey, you can build something here, like scientists, professors, research students who are now looking at saying, hey, I don't really have to go back to just teaching once I finish my education or try and become a data scientist or um, you know a machine learning scientist. I can probably go back and build something that's a little bit more hardcore, a little bit more pressing, and probably something that's a little bit more long-term but it's, 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 it, there is, there are steps, there are people, there are stakeholders willing to support us. And you're seeing funds that are now coming into place, which are purely focusing on um, uh, issues that are very pressing, things that really build the next generation of our, um, of our species. We're thinking about, um, you know, climate tech, we're thinking about things that are issues that we face on a day-to-day -day basis, but things that are hard to judge, hard to quantify, and also from a VC lens, these are not companies that will give you immediate returns, but these will give you some slower returns, but over the course of maybe 10 to 15 year timelines. So these are some sectors that I'm really like bullish about. And within SaaS, if you ask me what's really interesting, I would say the verticalization of SaaS industries in India is going to be really interesting. For a long time, the horizontal play was something that we saw India excel at. And that's where you'll see your 
um, Zoho's of the world, or you would perhaps see Freshworks of the world. But now you're going to have vertical SaaS that's going to be extremely, extremely integrated. And more importantly, playing out from a global uh, or, or building out from a global uh, perspective. And those are where I feel India is going to be uniquely positioned to capture a fantastic market share domestically, internationally, but more importantly, carve its name in the larger context of just technology. Yep. Um, that makes sense. In, so as, this as, is as an interesting story. So Avinit and I, both of us are from India. We go to school right now at Georgia Tech, studying computer science, doing undergrad. So both of us also actually want to go back, build something cool. We have the technical requisite learning here in the United States and then going back. So this is kind of an opinion that I have formed, like speaking to people here in the industry, speaking to people who've been invited in the podcast. So two industries that I think, and I want to talk to you about it is two industries that I think India should focus upon right now. One is logistics and cloud supply chain, because supply chain is still still a problem in India. I don't know if you know about Havala's that still exist in like tier two, tier three cities that you talked about. Another industry, I think that has a lot of space is lending yeah. and credit credit. You can say credit card, the credit card space that has not been fully exploited in India. Not a lot of people still own like credit cards or the lending process, especially for females in the country. So what do you think about these two spaces? Because like these have been like our like core topics in previous podcast episodes, because this is something that we are really passionate about B2B companies, credit lending uh, for B2C credit lending or B2B cloud supply chain, supply chain. And how can we optimize it for the country or for tier two, tier three city? Great question. And mm -hmm. um, I think you touched upon it yourself, right? These are massive opportunities for the country for obvious reasons that one, we've, we've either not addressed them in the past for variety of reasons, be it infrastructure, be it lack of knowledge, be it uh, lack of confidence for that matter. I don't think for a long time, Indian entrepreneurs even thought about going and building out their own um, companies in the enterprise space, cloud infrastructure for, 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 for many reasons. Um, and today we have that confidence today. We know that there is, there are, in, there are companies that will get funded. We do know that we've got the knowledge, we've got the know-how, we've got the tech talent domestically that we don't really have to go above and beyond and, and go and look out for this talent in to the West and we can find this talent within the country. And the fact that today education and internet penetration is so prevalent in the country and there's information knowledge is so accessible creates that opportunity for any sector. Now you're talking about cloud infrastructure, logistics and uh, financial inclusion and FinTech overall. But I believe this also holds true for any niche sector in the country itself. There is talent that can quickly pick up and really go out and build companies today. Now, going back to the question of fintech, you know, providing uh, credit, lending, perhaps even creating an opportunity for women. Of course, I mean, there is um, a very good uh, friend of mine is building a company called Basis, which basically provides and empowers women to have their own credit cards and giving them for the very first time, um, you know, rewards. Uh, insight into their own spending, giving them the opportunity to like own their own finances, which for millions of women in India is something that has never happened. Like I can give you a good example of my own mother, highly educated. We come from an upper middle class family. Um, somebody who's probably worked for about 20 years of her life and she's had access to managing her own finances. But for the last 10 years, she's retired. She doesn't have an income. So having had to like spend some of our savings in educating her children, she now has to now figure out how to manage her own finances. And this is somebody who's highly educated, right? 
So for her, it was a chore to actually understand how quickly that the market has evolved and how technology can actually play a huge role in helping her manage all of our finances. Mm -hmm. That learning for a long time did not exist. Today, you go to YouTube, you go to Instagram, you'll have at least enough content for you to understand what information is out there, what utilities are out there, what tools are out there, what startups are out there, what apps are available for you to just simply get started. Forget about getting a credit card. It's about, hey, how do I develop trust that today if I transact online through a credit card, through a debit card, this is something that I can actually believe in. And this is for somebody who's who's worked for 20 years, who comes from, uh, who's actually drawn a salary, who comes from a very probably the 1% of the country, right? When you think about it from a, uh, from a population perspective and she herself found it a huge struggle. Given that somebody like her had to go through that journey and eventually catch up, you can only see what the narrative would be for the rest of the other 99% of the country, especially when you trickle it down to rural parts of India, tier two, tier three as well. So the opportunity is massive. Today, bridging that gap is going to be, it has become much easier. The only challenge is now going to be conversions. So it's going to be a gradual process. You cannot just say, hey, I'm going to go out and start a credit card company and expect somebody to come and buy my credit card or have access to my credit card, even though I'm giving it out for free. The thing that needs to happen is you need to like tell them what is a credit card? Why do you need a credit card? What is a credit score? What can you avail through this? Forget rewards and benefits and on top of that. You need to just tell them what is the benefit of having a credit score? How, can, how does that really impact your life? It's the hand-holding journey that needs to come about and beat any new sector or anything that's fresh to the Indian consumer. You need to go through the whole education process. The awareness phase is what I call it. Once you have an awareness, people will start to research about it. People will start to like read up more about it. But if you are a company and you're building all of these resources internally, building awareness, building a community on top of that, you're, you're layering your own core product <laughs> offering and then handholding them through the whole process of, okay, now I teach you how to use a credit card. Where do I use a credit card? Okay. Now that I've used a credit card, what can I do with the credit card? What do I do with the rewards that I want? Where can I spend my rewards? All of this is going to be a handholding process for the Indian consumer. That is where the opportunity is. And anybody who builds a full stack um, uh, solution here, right from awareness to um, community development to handholding the end consumer and then making and empowering them to basically leverage the full power of the product is going to be a winner. Yeah. And that's how I look at it. You know, it's, it's a, you've, you've got to take a full stack approach to um, these sectors in the country. That's a very interesting thing you said because one of the things you uh, spoke about very rightly is, um, you know, how you need to have some kind of consumer behavior change where it's not just uh, about having uh, building a company. It's also about educating the public and it's a gradual process that comes through. And I think that's a big challenge and an opportunity in the sense that there needs to be some kind of graduate education that comes about in India where, you know, right now there's this culture where the men hold the finances, the men distribute the finances in the house, within the right. house. And once you gradually have that change where there's a more equitable distribution between both genders and then what goes about happening is that people have that spending, like women, women get involved in the credit process. They use credit to even start small businesses, MSMEs maybe, and it changes, yeah. it creates that sort of innovation and that shift towards uh, 
I don't know, better returns that the country is expecting and the country wants and there's that better workforce that comes place in, in play. So I think that's a great example yeah. and great way of putting it. Some somewhere a place where I want to direct this conversation is knowing what you would what you do with Mentorcam. What exactly would you uh, define that Mentorcam does? What exactly is the objective, the goal? Great question. Um, a little bit of context. One of the reasons I looked at Mentorcam uh, to join Mentorcam also was simply because um, of the model and the uniqueness of what the platform is all about. So for everyone who doesn't know or have, are hearing about Mentorcam for the first time, uh, we're a platform that democratizes access to high quality and high class operators, investors, and experts in specific fields that help you go out and build companies. So we basically um, empower founders in the early stage. So these are founders who have an idea. So the way I classify it is minus one to the one journey, which is minus one is when you have an idea, you're thinking about coming up with your secret recipe that's going to be um, successful in some one way or the other to when you start a company, to when you raise your seed round and get to a series A. This journey is perhaps the most uncertain and a journey filled with a lot of hurdles for first time founders, even for people who've been there and done that before. And where we really found our own sweet spot when we were building the product out is helping these founders go through that journey. I've been a founder. Um, my co obviously the team that I work with, everybody on the team has been a co-founder. Uh, everyone, sorry, has been a, has been a founder at some point in their life. And we've all observed that if you don't have some sort of support, some sort of expertise, people who have been there and done that, and who can actually open doors for you, problem solve for you and save time and importantly money, it's going to be a very difficult journey. Being a founder is a very difficult journey in in and itself, right? It's a it's a lonely journey because it feels like every day is a hard hard day. Making that sale is a hard thing. Going out and talking to investors is hard. Building the product is hard. Getting feedback is hard. I'll give you an example. Try going out and asking a user that you already have to give you feedback. It's very difficult to get them on a call. Even if you incentivize them with a $50 Amazon coupon, it chances are you will not get somebody to get you get on a call with you and speak to you for 30 minutes. And you may have received a lot of these requests yourselves saying, hey, 30 minutes, $25 on Amazon. People won't. If they don't buy into the product, they're not going to buy into anything else that you know they you, you want from them. So keeping or being very intentional about how you go out and build your company is very hard for founders. And we feel we can help them do that. And we are helping them do that by connecting them to the right people who've been there and done that themselves, who have raised millions of dollars, who have built companies, who have hired people, who have fired people, who have you know crushed it in marketing, who have crushed it in sales, who have expanded into different markets, who have gotten into um, retail distribution, who have figured out everything, every aspect about specific businesses. We bring those experts and we offer them to like early stage founders and build a SaaS model on top of that, wherein you can subscribe to somebody um, for a mentorship, which lasts anywhere between three to 12 months and go through that journey with them. And that journey is invaluable. And that is what we are trying to do here with Mentorcam. So the way I would think about this is, um, we're not an education platform. We're not a future of work platform. What we're trying to create is our own niche where we really want to be part of a journey when you're thinking about starting a company of your own. And what I do as part of my day job is partnerships and operations. Um, and in operations, everything from customer support 
to onboarding um, the companies, have maintaining relationships with uh, the founders that we bring on, the mentors that we have on the platform, product management to an extent, uh, and more importantly, just making sure that we are operationally very efficient and there are no clogs anywhere in anything that we do. Um, I spend 90% of my time just making sure that we've got everything is functioning for us. And um, more importantly, um, where I think we've done a fantastic job is bring the right people on board, including the founders, including the the mentors. And that is the value add for everybody within uh, within our within our small community that we've that built out over the course of the last two years. I was just going through the company and like played with the website, so around uh, what you did. So there's a lot of overlap actually. So Avirat and I started working on a one-on-one uh, like networking project uh, at Georgia Tech about like one year ago. We shut it down because like we ran, a, ran we ran the alpha version for about like 150 people if I remember correctly. Uh, so it was more like about like the problem statement was the communities like Reddit or Slack uh, are too anonymous for building a sense of community because nobody knows each other. It's just like people spamming or you get information out of it. I agree, but it was to basically help people get, get those contacts. But you have kind of reverse engineered the process. So it's like the poor people at one end of the spectrum are experienced people in the industry uh, are people who want to give out advice, but don't know like who's the right person to give out advice to and stuff like that. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who exactly. are seeking advice and want to build something cool and want to speak to these people. One cool question or one like interesting question that has been bugging mine is how do you, how does customer retention work with MentorCam? Because it's pretty human. Like if I get on a call with you, say like you or perhaps somebody else, like I kind of tend to develop that bond with that particular person. If I like gel with them or stuff like that, like I am uh, like, how am I bound to use a platform like MentorCam or stuff like that for the next conversation that I am having rather than just like texting the person, like scheduling a call because we just gel, yeah. we, we just had a nice conversation. We just want to spend time, spend more time. That's a great question. And this is a classic marketplace conundrum mm-hmm. that most people end up facing when you're building a model like this out. We had that too. Uh, and the way we went about was being very intentional about who we bring on and being very selective about who we bring on to our platform. So every person who's a mentor on our platform, we have a personal relationship with them. We have a means for somebody to become a mentor on the platform. They can fill out an application and everything. And, you know, we go through, they go through a very uh, rigorous uh, screening process on the back end. But more often than not, 95% of the people that we, you see on the website when you log on are people that we know personally. And that was really important for us to build credibility and accountability for on their behalf as well. Because like you said, the biggest challenge could be like, hey, somebody wants to take this off our platform and want to do it on their own on the site. The reason we don't have any of that happening on our platform is because the mentors love working with us and they have a relationship with us. And they're all doing this because of two reasons. Either they want to give back to the community because they've had somebody who have had them build companies along their way. And today they want to pay, pay it back in, in one way or shape or form, or they really have a genuine interest and mm-hmm. care for helping people. And they're doing it because they believe in somebody who's building. So maybe you're a FinTech founder today, but you believe in somebody who's building a sleep uh, 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 a full stack solution for tele te- mm-hmm. uh, full stack medical solution for sleep, but they may never have an overlap from the sector perspective. But what they want to do is they believe in the 
in this idea. They believe that sleep is really important and they want to work with a founder who's building a company in this out and they're sharing their journey with them. So that's one of the two reasons why people come and end up working uh, with us. Now, if we're talking from a customer retention perspective, the way we share our story with both our uh, mentors and our mentees is that mentorship is not a one-time call. It's not a one one call. It's not a one-time thing. It's not something that you can measure over the course of just one month of being on the platform. Think of it like therapy, right? When you're going through a hard mental, mentally challenging situation in your life, you can't expect to go to a therapist and have two sessions or one session with that person and expect your problems to be solved overnight. No, because what you do over the course of your therapy sessions is understand more about who you are, get resources and um, possible solutions to your own personal situation. And then you go back and apply it, come back and share feedback as to, hey, it didn't work or it worked. And then keep reiterating on that process until you find your own playbook that really works for you. And we look at MentorCam and mentorship from that perspective, wherein you need to have that constant ongoing relationship with a person, a mentor, an advisor, an expert. You need to work with them for a prolonged period for you to really understand that value is not driven one way. Value is driven from both sides. You need to come back. You need to share feedback, which is why we recommend people to stay on for three to 12 months, which is one of the reasons why we've had very little churn is because people are seeing that value. People are seeing that mentorship is a long-term thing. Goes back to the initial point that I made. You've got to handhold people through that journey. You've got to educate people about how do you use your product. You can't just have a, a product and expect people to use it. I've got a tennis ball right here next to me. You can play cricket with this. You can play tennis with it. I can just throw it against the wall and just hold it. And this can be, I can, I can play with my dog with this. The multiple use cases for this and the way I use it is going to be how max, uh, what's the max value that I derive mm -hmm. out of this little spear in my hand. And that's simply what we want to do with mentorship as well is explain to people how to use it. Why do you want, why, why should you be using it? And what's the best way to extract maximum value from it? And we handhold them through that entire process. And that's probably one of the reasons why we've done a really good job is being part of that journey, being intentional. And my, my job, and I take a personal pride in this, is helping founders. And I think that goes back to my time as a VC. Even if I didn't invest in an early stage company or, or, or any founder, I continue to help them out in any, any way possible. If I could connect them to a, another VC, if I could connect them to a potential customer, if I could connect them to somebody who they can collaborate with, I would end up doing that. And I'm doing pretty much the same right now. They come to us for mentorship, but then I open up multiple doors for them. And then they see the value. They're like, oh, I didn't ask you for this, but you're giving me something else in return. So it's about building relationships at the end of the day. And no matter which business you're in, people stay because they like working with you. People don't stay simply because the product is great or, um, you know, something else or the pricing is like a, a, a good thing that fits that budget. People stay because they really like working with you. Something here is working and that usually is a relationship, which is also why you'll see people in Google mm -hmm. still using Box for their storage. While Google Cloud Storage is probably mm -hmm. one of the best store cloud storage units in the world. But people mm -hmm. will still end up using Box because there's somebody sitting in Box at the customer success level, who's maintaining that relationship <laughs> and people just don't want to walk away from that because they're doing an excellent job at it. And that's where I see my role or that's how I see we are fitting into the whole equation. It's a long answer, but I hope that answered your question. I have a couple of 
quick questions. One, you spoke uh, in detail about how you need to have or how you guys maintain personal relationships with all the mentors that are available. How do you uh, go about doing this? How would you scale with this? Like at what level would the people who are working, I'm guessing people like someone like you who's working ahead of operations and maybe relations and stuff like that, have how many connections you think you can handle at that point where you probably don't miss out any cool people who are coming in and can create real impact and some people who maybe now aren't that, you know, at, at this level, they're probably not being able to give so much time to your platform and you may probably need to offboard them or, or something like that. How do you maintain yeah. that? And secondly, uh, how is this different from something like masterclass in the sense that let's say if I want to know something very specific and I, I understand there's that aspect of live one-on-one -on -one talking or more than masterclass, something like lunch club maybe even lunch club where you can get where an ai connects me to the best person here i know i have the choice but an ai connects me to a probably good enough person and how do you deal with that kind of competition and the first question obviously yeah uh again two fantastic questions thanks for that uh, i'll answer the first one first uh, the short answer to is we productize it Right now, we're in the early stages of productizing most of the workflow that we've got, right? Um, only technology can solve it at scale. You cannot have manual interfer interference trying to address this problem. It's not going to happen. And our goal is to be a huge company, hopefully a billion dollar company or whatever the right metrics are, how we judge companies today, right? We, w we, we want to be a company that is adding more impact and value not just here in the United States, but globally. But the only way we'll do it is through product, through our technology. That's where we're building a product mode at this point. Right now, some of the processes that we do may be manual. Some of it is uh, is with tech. So we have a hybrid model going on. But the idea is to move everything to uh, a full stack solution that takes care of everything, right? From onboarding to maintaining. Relationship is something that you can't productize. That has to be something that is is manual. And people like, like to see face-to-face. Or people don't, I mean, maybe we're moving towards um, a future where we'll have our avatars in the metaverse and that's what people will relate to. But until we get to that point at scale, we'll still have, you know, being face to face like this, how you, the three of us are like having a conversation, looking at each other. Now, coming to the second question about how do we look at competition, masterclass and lunch club for that, uh, for that matter. Uh, both are not a direct competition to us. Although we are in adjacent spaces, we're not direct competition. Masterclass, because masterclass, masterclass is more, um, yeah, driven by great experts in the field, but it is on demand. Like you sign up, you go there, you watch the lessons, you go back and implement. And that's basically an on-demand uh, educational service. And the production value is exquisite. I have masterclass. I've used, I've done a couple of like classes from them. Uh, it's amazing. Courses from them. It's amazing. So it's not a direct competition as such. Lunch club as well. Lunch club. When it started, it was more about just discovering the next cool person in the same city as you were. And then eventually it started becoming with experts and, you know, people that, you know, who you might easily get access in terms of information. Where we have really positioned ourselves and where we differ from each of these is that we have an understanding about the expertise of our mentors. And then we get on these sales calls, right? We speak to people, we understand the problems that every founder is having. Now, 
the thing is when you're building a company and say mehul's building a company both of you may be early stage both of you may have launched the company on the same date but your journeys are very different he may have a hiring problem you may have a scaling problem he may not understand marketing you may not understand sales so each of your asks are going to be very different he may have a co-founder you may not have a co-founder mm-hmm. so every founder's journey is different and for you to personalize that experience is very very hard and we are doing that at a at an early stage we we we've started to do that over the course of the last year and a half or so and we hopefully want to like productize that whole experience very similar to let's say for example i don't know if you've used a company like noom or your views function of beauty wherein you have like a user onboarding test uh, or a survey you get to know like where the challenges are and then the ai is going to recommend what the best uh, solution is or who the best mentors are for you to work with perhaps have like a free freemium model and then you move on to a premium model on top of that so there are multiple things that we are testing out to to make sure that this can scale um quickly and more importantly ensure that it's a perfect fit now the problem with discovering anything for the first time let's say it's uh, you go to amazon and you're trying to look for something which is you look for tennis ball right like today you have brands like you have got you got wilson you got pen you've got um a bunch of other brands that you can relate to and you know that these are the two best brands but when you go to like people how do you know one's better than the other you don't you've got to like work with them you got to like speak to them you've got to understand what value somebody brings to the to the table that's where we are coming in in between right now and sharing that story with let's say a founder because we know all of our mentors personally i'm able to share their stories what they've done what their accomplishments are how can they help you out uh, for an instance um when i get on a call and somebody says oh i'm having a lot of challenges hiring engineers in india and i'm sitting here in silicon valley how do i do that and i'm able to like tell them which founders have done it how have they done it why are they best positioned to work with you and 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 give them the solution then and there another thing that could end up happening is somebody comes to us and says hey we've got eddie on your platform who i think is a fantastic founder who i think can help me out and this is my problem and i will tell them you know what hang on a minute while eddie may be a great partner to work with you i think i have somebody else who's been through exactly the same journey as you are going through right now who will be a benefit for you that unfortunately is not possible with a lunch club or a or a masterclass at this point which is what we are solving for that's where our niche is is trying to figure out where exactly your pain point is and handhold you through that entire journey because all along it's going to change 3 months in you maybe want to fundraise i can now connect you to somebody who is an expert in fundraising you're fundraised how do you maintain relationship with your vcs how do you then go out and think about your series a there are different mentors that come along or different people who have an expertise in different aspects of your own journey as a founder and i'm able to like build that relationship with you and with tech we're trying to also understand if we are able to like productize all of this then we can instantly allow people to like move between the right people and that's going to give them the maximum value from the product itself that's where it's an interesting journey of starting out uh being a consumer company but thinking that more from a saas really fun because i tend to have i don't know uh i really have a pessimist view of any product that i see for the first time because i tend to learn and learn more about it, it i i wouldn't say pessimist is the wrong word it's just that i would say yeah it's like so i try to be advocate. yeah i try to be as critical yeah, as possible you're just being skeptical uh, yeah. while like talking about the product so it's just like it's a habit that i have being in product for like the past year or two years 
is just good to learn about what the person is thinking about and stuff like that. Yeah. Then one last question that I have for our listeners and I then so. we can wrap up is what is the one piece of advice that you would give people in college or high school who want to build out and start to work on a company from scratch and then scale it to like thousands of users? I, I, I wish somebody had given me this advice when I was starting off, right? I would say don't think of building a company because it seems like a very, very ambitious target when you're starting off. Think about starting a start site project. You know, if you're thinking about starting a company, then you've got your, your me mentally, you're obviously going to start thinking <laughs> about product. I got a hire, I got a money. I, I need marketing. I get, you're only going to talk, think about things that when you don't even have anything to begin with, start scrappy, start small, start easy, start with a site project. I'm sure when you guys started the podcast, you probably didn't think of being, how do I build Spotify's number one podcast? No, you was like, okay, how do I really get this off the ground? How do I get my first episode off the ground? What's the format going to be? What are we going, like, get your basics right. Start with a site project. Like if you're thinking about launching the next food delivery company, think about doing it for 10 students in your, in your, uh, in your hostel, in your, in your, in your dorm. Try and see if you can bring down the problem that you have, granularize, granularize it as much as possible, take a small test case and say, I'm going to do it for these people. Before <laughs> you go out and say, I'm going to do it for 7 billion people in the world or 330 million people here in the United States, I'm going to do it for 10 people. And let me try and understand mm -hmm. what works here and what does not work. And understand everything about it because tomorrow when you're trying to scale that, if you don't know your customers really well and the problems that they faced, it's going to be very hard for you to do any, anything in life. So anybody with an aspiration of going out and building your own company, start small, think, think big, but start small and do everything yourself. Know every aspect of the business. You may not be a tech person, but understand technology, understand how something works. You may not need to know how the code works, but know every aspect of how thing. if I click on a button, you should know what happens. You should lit like, if you're not the, you're not the CTO, you're not the technical person on the team. You still need to understand every aspect about the technology. Vice versa. If you're a technical person, you don't understand sales, marketing, fundraising, really learn about it. Be there, be present with your, with your co-founder, with your partner, whoever that person you're working with, know every aspect about everything that you're doing. Like for instance, right? You guys are hosting a podcast. Maybe one of you ends up doing the editing or you outsource it. But before you do outside outsourcing it, you would have done the process yourself. You would have edited the episode yourself, because if you don't know how to edit the episode yourself, when you send that to somebody else to edit the episode, you may not know whether they're actually doing a good job or not. You may not know if they're charging you more for it than they should be or not. You don't really know if they can be doing a better job at it or not. You don't really know how to hold them to a certain standard. And that's why every, every person who goes through any journey needs to do it once for themselves and perfect that model before they start bringing more people on or trying to scale or outsource it, know how to do something and start extremely, extremely small before you, that's my big, biggest feedback to anybody. That's my advice. Think, think big, start small and, um, yeah, take, take it from there. That's great advice. I think, uh, well. It was great conversing, Akash. It, I'm pretty sure both of both Moyen and I learned a lot from this. I'm pretty sure our listeners will understand a lot. It was pretty good segments and yeah, that was a great conversation.
Likewise, Mehul and uh, Virat, thank you so much for having me here. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Great questions, thoughtful questions. And uh, if any of your listeners want to reach out to me and just have a conversation or need any sort of advice, help, um, or if there's anything that I can do for them, uh, please feel free to reach out to me at my uh, email. It's bhatviakash.gmail.com or uh, just drop me a note on LinkedIn and uh, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Thank and, you, Akash. Uh, yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you again for hosting me.